Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for being here. Donald Trump has been president for less than two weeks, and already the world looks like a very different place. The shift in leadership may be most acutely felt in America by people with ethnic links to Muslim-majority nations. President Trump signed an executive order to stop the influx of anyone from seven war-torn countries, including refugees expecting to resettle here in the United States. Meanwhile, reports from the CBC in Canada say a lot of refugees in the U.S. have been crossing that border on foot into Canada seeking another kind of asylum from fear of the Trump administration. And just yesterday, the administration says it's putting Iran on notice with no explanation of what that means for launching a missile test. It is a different world today than it was on January 19th, uh, the day before Donald Trump was sworn in as the 45th president of the United States. We have been talking a lot on this program about those differences, and we plan to continue those conversations. One of the things that I think is really important right now uh, is to highlight the things that are going on, highlight the effect that those things are having on people we know, people right here in our community. And of course, Southeast Michigan is home to uh, one of the largest Muslim populations here in the United States. It is home to uh, one of the largest populations of people from the Middle East. Uh, anywhere in the world, in fact. And uh, so this is this is a local story for us. This is a local narrative. What Donald Trump is doing in Washington has profound effects on our friends and our families and our neighbors here in Southeast Michigan. And we want to make sure that we give air to those stories, to those narratives. We want to talk to the people who are being affected by this. And of course, we want to talk to the people as well who support this, the people here in Southeast Michigan who say this is a necessary step to either tighten security or even if you believe that uh, this is a way of preserving American identity, uh, that's okay too. I mean, uh, I've heard from a lot of people who uh, support it for those reasons. Uh, this show is is intended to be uh, the place where we can talk about these things, where we can have these discussions and highlight these issues. And so we continue that uh, today with the first two segments. Uh, joining me now is Saeed Khan. He's an expert in Middle and Near East history and politics. A lecturer at Wayne State University joins us frequently on the program to talk about issues like this. Saeed, welcome to Detroit Th- Today. Thanks so much for having me back, Stephen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, in that opening, you know, I, pers- I purposely turned that toward local personal narratives uh, because I knew that uh, you were the guest. Uh, I want to start talking with you about how this affects you personally. Your name, uh, as I said, is Saeed Khan. You are uh, from uh, you are of Pakistani origin, I believe. That That's right? correct. Uh, and uh, at least nominally. This wouldn't affect you because it's not one of the seven countries. Pakistan's not one of the seven countries that we're uh, banning refugees or uh, immigrants from. But, of course, uh, reality looks really different from uh, from what's on paper. And so I wanted to, to give you a chance to talk about how this looks to you, how, that, how it's made you feel, and how it's sort of changed behavior. 
Well, thank you for the opportunity, Stephen. And uh, it's a little bit of a departure for me as an academic to actually have to put the focus back <laughs> on me. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a subject of my own research. <laughs> uh, but, 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 uh, but we live, as you said, in, uh, in quite different times. Uh, not only was, uh, am I of uh, Pakistani heritage, but actually I, I never lived there. Um, I'm a product of living in, uh, in Great Britain and in the United States for uh, the vast majority of my life, and in some uh, rather improbable areas, uh, New York City, Houston, and uh, Lapeer, Michigan, up in the thumb, <laughs> uh, where I went to high school and where my parents still live. Uh, you're right. Uh, technically speaking, if you were to take a look at the four corners of this executive order, and let's just call it a Muslim ban, uh, it shouldn't affect me on two grounds. One, uh, because uh, I am a, uh, a Pakistani or uh, someone of Pakistani heritage, not one of the seven countries right. uh, that have been listed, which is Iran, Iraq, uh, Libya, Syria, Somalia, Sudan, and Yemen, uh, but also because I am a United States citizen. And the scope of, uh, of this order is supposed to be at refugees and of uh, non-immigrants right. uh, of, of these uh, seven countries. Uh, but the reality, of course, is much different from uh, what is the legality. And we find that now uh, this is affecting uh, people from various other Muslim countries uh, who are of uh, Muslim faith and of Muslim heritage. And it is extending to uh, U.S. citizens in how it is being applied at borders. And that is causing an awful lot of consternation because, after all, uh, many of those uh, who have either naturalized or been born as American citizens were always taught, whether through Schoolhouse Rock or uh, some other kind of <laughs> civics lesson, that there are certain uh, safeguards, there are certain measures and certain distinctions that U.S. citizens as a collective whole will enjoy as part of the contract that they have with their government. That is now starting to be seen uh uh, through a rather warped lens and whether or not that is, in fact, uh, something that is uniformly applied. Yeah. Uh, and and for you personally, this, this means making some choices differently, maybe. Well, that's right. Uh, I mean, along with some of the other things I do, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be a panelist on uh, the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation's uh, show Turning Point. And uh, uh, we certainly like to have it in studio in Toronto, and uh, they're very kind to fly me in. But uh, American uh, immigration for flights coming back to the United States occurs in Canadian airports. It's kind of this strange little purgatory area uh, between uh, the check-in and the gate where you are technically on U.S. soil. Well, over there, uh, there are any number of questions and any number of quote-unquote delays that can occur in order to process somebody, including a U.S. citizen. And the likelihood of missing a flight uh, is very high, mm -hmm. and particularly when one is trying to come back early morning to uh, teach a class. Uh, those are the choices that then have to be made. Now, let me be fair. Uh, this is not something that is just a phenomenon of the last 11 or 12 days. Uh, this is something that uh, an awful lot of people, and particularly uh, we find Muslim Americans, have been dealing with for several years. The luxury of being able to cross the Canadian border and then come back 
in the old days, which just required essentially a driver's license for U.S. citizens and simply uh, a word of honor that they were uh, that they were a U.S. citizen, was never our experience. It was always a matter of carrying passports and proof of citizenship every single time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Saeed Khan, an expert in Middle and Near East history and politics, a lecturer at Wayne State University. We are talking about uh, the change in U.S. immigration policy, uh, what effect it has on this region, on people in this region, whether they are from the seven countries uh, that President Donald Trump uh, has said that we will not accept immigrants from for uh, a period of time, whether they are refugees or not. What message does this ban send uh, to uh, people here, to people around the country, to people around the world? What does it say about America. If you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. We are, of course, still quite interested in people's stories about immigration, how they may have come to this country, when they came to this country, what it was like, how hard it was uh, or easy. Uh, uh, also interested in talking to people who are here who have relatives still in these countries uh, that that have been banned what are they what are you hearing from them about what is going on are you worried about uh, their access to this country again 313-577-1019 is the number also if you support this ban if you think this is something that needs to be done uh, to get control of security here in the in the United States uh, call and 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 tell me why. Tell me why you think this is uh, okay. We we want to hear from that side as well. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page. Put your comments there. Uh, also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. <coughs> we will try to work your comments into uh, into the conversation. Saeed, uh, you used the word, the phrase, Muslim ban uh, when when I just uh, was asking you to, to to react to what what happened. Lots of people are saying that's not a fair description of what's going on and technically uh, technically that's that's true I suppose uh, it, it does not say uh, that we will ban Muslims why do you though think that phrase uh, appropriately describes what's going on well I think part of it Stephen is because uh, the president uh, and uh, many of those around him have in fact used that nomenclature uh, Trump in fact campaigned on it and also we find that uh, one of his advisors to the executive order Rudy Giuliani the former mayor of New York City uh, in fact uh, invoked that uh, that terminology so this isn't something that uh, uh, Muslim Americans have in fact uh, created themselves or patented or trademarked it's out uh, of the horse's mouth it's, so it's, to speak. it's literally out of the horse's mouth and plus it's it shows a uh, a pattern and uh, and a trajectory uh, there is also the report that uh, the Trump administration Administration is going to focus its countering violent extremism programs solely on Islam, mm -hmm. uh, even though, of course, there are a myriad uh, various uh, anti-social, anti-political, anti-government uh, entities that are out there, including the single largest, uh, which has been substantiated by the FBI and the Southern Poverty Law Center, both, which is white supremacist, white separatist movements, white nationalist movements. So uh, essentially what is occurring here is just simply a reaction to what is already being uh, said and, and, of course, being taken as dictum by this administration. And one of the issues that also is of deep concern is that there is nothing definitive about this executive order. There are now uh, speculations 
that it is going to expand to another 26 Muslim countries, perhaps within the next two to three weeks. Yeah, yeah. So it it is. I mean, there's a, a little bit of a game afoot, perhaps, with uh, this this naming or or the 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 the. the sort of back and forth about naming uh, as a way of trying to make it not seem like bigotry, uh, which a Muslim ban clearly would be. Uh, it's almost like they want to have it both ways. They want to use the rhetoric to get people worked up, uh, but then when they're criticized for it, say, well, it's not a Muslim ban. Well, we don't know to whom is he winking and nudging. Uh, I mean, there's the base, and then there is, of course, this reality of uh, – constitutionality. And in between, of course, is a Congress, a legislature, which would be in uh, the perfect position to try to then tilt the balance, push back on these things uh, to align with the judiciary, which has, in fact, uh, been quite effective uh, among many federal judges in uh, putting freezes or uh, injunctions on these uh, on the executive order. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, uh, I think it is uh, quite telling to see how senators and congresspeople are responding to this. There was, in fact, a, uh, a survey done of the Michigan congressional delegation to show by district which uh, congresspeople are for the uh, ban, yes. which ones do so with reservations, which ones are categorically uh, opposed. And it seems as though it's really coming down along partisan lines by and large. Yeah. All right. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation here. I'm talking with Saeed Khan, an expert in Middle and Near East history and politics, a lecturer at Wayne State University about the dramatic changes in uh, U.S. immigration policy, the effect that they have right here in southeast Michigan, home to uh, one of the largest Muslim populations in the country, home to one of the largest Middle East populations uh, outside of the Middle East. Uh, it looks different to us here. It feels different. It is closer in. It is about our neighbors and our family. And uh, we want to make sure that we give proper air to the folks who are affected and the folks who support it uh, to talk about it here on Detroit Today. Let's uh, go to AJ in downtown Detroit. AJ, welcome to Detroit Today. Excuse me, sorry. That's all right. Go ahead. Are you there, AJ? All right. Uh, I think AJ was in a, a lobby or something there. <laughs> we could hear what was going on behind him. Let's go to Tom. Tom in Northwest Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Today. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shores. Send these, the homeless, tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. That inscription, that what I just read, is on the um, side of the inscription on the uh, Statue of Liberty. Mm -hmm. And because of this disdain and this hate for Muslim people and the paranoia and the fear, some of those very people that the Statue of Liberty stands there and holds that, you know that torch of freedom, they will not be able to enjoy the freedom and democracy of the United States or breathe free. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you, to me personally, you don't need to go and put a band on something like this. You just need to beef up you know, the, um, the vetting system. Yeah. I mean, it's, just, it's as simple as that. But I mean, you know, um, I mean, I think and, I, you know, that's a that's an interesting point, Tom. I, you know, I, I would go further and to say that we already have really extreme vetting measures in place 
for people not just from these countries, but for people from lots of places on the planet where uh, where either it's difficult to get information, uh, intelligence about what may be going on in the country and what role people are playing, uh, or where information about individuals is maybe not kept uh, as meticulously as it is in Western countries like the United States. I mean, it is not easy to come uh, live in this country. I mean, uh, this is a this is one of the misnomers that I think drives the entire idea of the ban. Well, I would say, Stephen, it's actually alternative facts. And and Tom, thank you so much for reading Emma Lazarus's poem. Uh, I think there's a certain irony uh, and something a lot of people don't know that the Statue of Liberty was actually modeled after an Arab, an Egyptian woman. Yes, <laughs> uh, which, which is which is really fascinating in and of itself. The refugee vetting process takes a minimum of 18 to 24 months. It uh, requires at least a dozen uh, federal agencies, six international agencies. I I would argue that it is more difficult for uh, someone to be accepted as a refugee to the United States than to pass the clearance to be a staffer at the White House. So this, again, (laughs) has become a uh, a myth that is being uh, promulgated, and it almost seems as though it is creating a hysteria that prior to January the 20th, we had absolutely open borders. Uh, The American immigration system is quite airtight. Those who are asking for 100% compliance because it would have solved the issue of San Bernardino, solved the issue of the Boston Marathon uh, situation, or the Orlando nightclub. None of those would have been affected by even an airtight system. Uh, But I think it's also interesting that uh, no matter what we do with the refugee ban, it wouldn't have stopped a Timothy McVeigh. Right. A Timothy McVeigh or a Dylan Roof. Or a Dylan Roof uh, or an Adam Lanza or uh, a James Holmes in a, in a Colorado uh, movie theater, which I think brings up another very interesting point, Stephen. It seems as though some of those who are most fervently for the ban uh, would rather uh, be killed by uh, uh, someone who looks like them than by a foreigner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kenneth on Facebook says, honestly, uh, this ban has kept me on edge all week. I am Arab American, and although I was born here and the ban seems to not affect me, at least I don't think it does, it makes me feel that I am slowly being devalued as a second-class American. I think there's a really important sentiment, and that is where uh, I think the the issue here and the effect here crosses over uh, among historically marginalized people in this country. African Americans know exactly what uh, Kenneth is talking about there on Facebook. Mexican Americans know exactly what uh, Kenneth is saying on Facebook. Latinos, uh, people who have uh, a history of being treated as differently uh, in this society, as less, all I think can identify with. Uh, the, the the spirit that sort of lurks right behind this. Band. Well, also, Stephen, that it, this isn't just a matter of affecting people of color. Uh, if one takes a look at America's fairly recent history, it's also a matter of people who used to be seen as people of color. Yes. Uh, we're talking about Irish. We're yes. talking about the Italians. We're talking about Eastern Europeans. We're talking about Jews. So there's definitely a collective sense of uh, of of group identity of how this affects. And I would, in fact, go a bit further than that to say that irrespective of whether uh, people feel as though they are directly affected by this, 
The immigration ban uh, is going to affect all Americans, at the very least, on economic grounds. Yes. The idea that, typically speaking, those people who come to our shores are highly skilled, highly educated, highly trained. Among the refugees uh, coming from Syria are a myriad doctors, engineers. Now, coming over here, they then have to requalify, and that's why many of them, unfortunately, have to either drive an Uber or a taxi in order sure. to just make ends meet. But it also shows that they are not interested in going on the public dole. Yes. These are people who embody the very spirit of private entrepreneurship. They are more likely to come DIY. here and start businesses than they are to uh, to go on the public dole. Well, I mean, I, uh, I tend to be an Apple person, and I think of uh, perhaps <laughs> uh, one of the most famous famous Syrian immigrants of all, which is Steve Jobs. Absolutely, right? Uh, Steve Jobs, the, the folks at Google. Uh, I mean, uh, there are lots of companies in this country that exist because of immigration first, uh, and, and that gets lost in all of this dialogue. Uh, Chris in Detroit, you're up next. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Thanks hey. for taking my call. Sure. Go ahead. Uh, so I just wanted to give a voice of solidarity with our uh, Arab American and Muslim fellow residents of the Detroit metro area. Uh, I actually just recently moved back to the Detroit uh, area after living in various other states for 10 years. And you know, amongst other reasons, friends and family, one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to move back was the diversity that our area has here. Mm -hmm. uh, and in particular, having the exposure to people from different cultures, such as those from the Middle East, has made it a tremendous impact on my life. Uh, I grew up in Southfield. My neighbor across the street was Iranian, and the very next door was uh, Iraqi Chaldean family as well. And the amount of sort of you know uh, community ethos that I, I learned from you know being uh, around people of this background was really extremely influential to both me and my family. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my my neighbors go out and take care of my aging pe parents, you know, yards when we have too many leaves in the in the fall and, you know, help to plow snow in the wintertime. And uh, as such, I have a much different perspective on what it means for these individuals to come to our communities and be a part of, yeah. of America. Yeah, I so, mean, I, I think that's really important. I mean, most of us here, if you have lived here for any amount of time, uh, know of that diversity and know that it's not what you would find in lots of other places, but that it's one of the strengths that we have. I mean, it's one of the things that makes Southeast Michigan better, uh, not worse. And it's really hard, I think, um, it's really hard to project that at a time like this to the rest of the country. I mean, some of the things that I've seen uh, come at me from people who are elsewhere makes it really clear that they, they don't even know somebody who might be Muslim. They don't know someone who uh, may have come here from the Middle East or whose family came here from the Middle East. And I think that makes it even harder to get that message out. Well, well statistics show, I mean, especially with the, the Pew Center for the Study of Religious Life, that those people who have an actual personal relationship with someone else uh, there is an immediate reduction in the kind of fear and anxiety that they might have projected not only about that individual, but about the group to which they belong. So I think it's always interesting that those parts of the country which seem to be the most scared are the ones with whom they have the least contact with the other. And uh, 
I don't know how that can necessarily be be rectified. Uh, I think that there have been attempts to sometimes put refugee groups in the middle of nowhere, like uh, Somali refugees in Minnesota, because maybe people thought that they would find the climate <laughs> agreeable. Right. Yeah. Uh, but but at the same time, it also shows that this fear that is growing in America about change and a change that people cannot reverse uh, is partly driven by technology. Now, with social media and with the internet, uh, you find that there is a so-called infiltration of all these images into one's home, and that is then being internalized by people to say, wow, the threat is now just outside my front door. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Saeed Khan, expert in Middle and Near East history and politics, lecturer at Wayne State University. As always, thanks for being here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much, Stephen. We'll see you soon. Definitely. All right, uh, up next, we're going to speak with leaders from the Jewish and Muslim communities who are working together to preserve religious freedom and pluralism here in America, responding in a very specific way to the immigration changes that President Donald Trump has affected. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones, 313-577-1019. We want to continue this conversation about changes to immigration policy here in America and if that is a change in America itself. Stay with us on Detroit today.